Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel 19. 1 Samuel 19, we continue our walk through the book of 1 Samuel. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. So many of you join with us each week. We pray that you feel very much a part of our worship here. I also want to welcome Reach Church DeSoto and uh, the venue service meeting right down the hall. It's good to see you, 1 Samuel 19. We're out of it last week, so let's get a little context. Let's get our bearings. You'll remember that David has been anointed king. God has anointed him through the prophet Samuel. Uh, He's been anointed as king. Uh, Saul, in his rejection of God and his disobedience, he's been rejected. The Spirit of God has departed Saul, and the Spirit of God has come upon David. And uh, David begins to advance forward. You'll remember he's brought into full bloom as God brings him to that day with Goliath standing in the valley of Allah. And there is Goliath standing against the people of God. And, and David goes and stands against him, achieves great victory on behalf of the people of God and uh, defeats the Philistines. And we even have that moment where Jonathan will recognize him as being God's anointed. He'll lay down his armor, commit himself, vow himself to be loyal to David a uh, very powerful symbol of how we should uh, respond to Jesus Christ, having achieved the great victory for us. But you'll also know that uh, there's a guy who doesn't like this very much. We've been talking about him, King Saul. Uh, he feels threatened uh, by David. In, in chapter 18, you see over and over again, he begins to fear him. Uh, David is ascending. Saul is descending. Uh, he has untethered himself from God. And uh, when a man in government and power uh, untethers himself from God, he becomes a beast instead of a blessing. And that's exactly what Saul is. And uh, so what you have here, if you want to boil this down, you got the will of God to make David king. And you got the will of Saul who says, no, I'm going to kill him. The will of man versus the will of God. Which of those two wills is going to win out? The will of God always wins. Always wins. And so God is going to establish David as king. But in the midst of all this, Saul is going to cause David a lot of problems. You you read these stories and it's often, it kind of hits me. God, if you know you're going to make David king, why not just eliminate Saul, move David over? We all be happy. It'd be a whole lot easier. You say, why in the world are you going to let Saul bring all these attacks against a guy we know you're going to make king? And I'll tell you why. Same reason God allows trials into your life. Because God uses them to change us. To mold us and shape us into the men and women that God has called us to be. Um, David is going to be a great king. But he's got to go through this junk so that he might mature and become the man that God has called him to be. We just think about, you know, one day... Uh, we'll be completed, won't we? We'll be perfect and holy, made new again in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a promise to those of us who know Jesus Christ, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus is going to complete you. He's going to make you whole. He's going to bring you into his presence. Wouldn't it be great if we just trusted in Christ and he just called us home? That'd be good. But guess what? we got to go through Lenexa. <laughs> We're going to go through Kansas, and we have trials. And guess what, God? He uses those trials that he's sovereign over. Listen, everything that's happening in David's life, God's sovereign over every bit of it. God is in control, 
And he's going to take what Saul means for evil and God's going to use it for good to mold David and shape David into the person he's called him to be. Any of y'all going through some junk right now in your life? Any of y'all pay taxes recently? Man, makes me mad. Listen to me. God uses all those things, even taxes, to mold us and shape us. And one of the things that I love to see about what God's doing with David is he's taking all the things that David trusts in and he kind of knocks those things out from underneath him. And he's bringing David to a place where he trusts in God alone. You know what I feel like so many times? We, we trust in Christ and he puts us in a school of faith. You've heard me reference this probably many We're in a school of faith. You know what God is doing? He's teaching us to trust him. You know what he does a lot of times? He knocks out all these things that we lean upon, all the things that we use as crutches to hold us up and we think we're gonna street, and he just keeps knocking them out in front of us so that we get to a place where we trust in him and him alone. That's what God is doing in David's life. Let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word today. God, we know that this is not just some ancient text This is relevant. You have written these things. Your word says you have written these things for our benefit. You you have some principles here that you want us to see that are relevant for our lives today. And I just so happen to believe there's probably some folks either watching online at Reach Church DeSoto in the venue service or even right here in this room. And they're going through some junk. And just like David, they're trying to be faithful. It seems like just around every corner there's another trial, another difficulty. Walking through life when it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel and when there is, it's just another oncoming train. And I pray that you would teach us through your servant David more about who you are and what you're doing in our life. And I pray that you would bolster our faith that we can trust you, that evil is not sovereign. Satan is not sovereign. You are sovereign and you are true to your promises. So I pray that you would grow us in our faith and trust in you. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would see even in this passage a picture of Jesus who is God's anointed Savior. And I pray that we wouldn't reject him, but we trust him, we delight in him. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, look with me, verse one, chapter 19. Now Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death, but Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So we've already seen that Saul is attempting to kill uh, David. He's already thrown his spear at him once, Um, and he's tried to use his daughters as a snare to David. Uh, In other words, he's trying to use them to manipulate David and put him in a position where he goes to war with the Philistines, and the Philistines will kill him. And even the dowry price for his daughter is used as a means of manipulation to try to take David out. And none of those has worked, and so now he just comes outright with it in the midst of his probably executive level cabinet, his, his main guys, his main advisors, and he tells them, boys, here's the plan. We're going to kill him. I'm done with this. Uh, he's got to go. He's a threat to me. He's a threat to my leadership. He's a threat to my son. 
But there's somebody within this executive cabinet that loves David, and his name is Jonathan. We've already seen Jonathan devote his loyalty to David, and it's important for us to remember that there was nobody within this kingdom that was uh, uh, more at threat by David than Jonathan. Jonathan is the heir to the throne, and if David is God is anointed, that means he's done. He's not going to be king. And oftentimes, if somebody else became king or they assassinated the current king, what'd they do with the kids? We got to get rid of them too, so none of them will try to overthrow and take me. And so Jonathan, an amazing act of loyalty, commits himself to David. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's caused me to question. The only explanation that I can come up with is that Jonathan is a man of faith, and because he trusts and believes in God, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has revealed to him that this David is going to be king, that this David is God's anointed. We don't know. Maybe David told him about the anointing with Samuel, but somehow Jonathan knows this is God's man. And so despite the command of his father, he says, I delight in David. He's my delight. And what you're going to see as you move forward through this narrative is you're going to see that God's chosen, his anointed, David, is going to create a division in this royal household. That you're going to have a daddy named Saul who's going to see God's anointed as his enemy. And you will have a son who sees God's anointed as his delight. Does God's anointed Jesus Christ still sometimes divide homes today? He sure does. That in the sea, you remember Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but the sword to divide. There's going to be a division on me on the basis of how you see me. And so you have this son, Jonathan. In fact, what's interesting, if you'll note in this passage, I started underlining because I thought, man, that just, it keeps being repeated. Jonathan will, re- will continually refer to Saul as my father. My father Saul, my father Saul. David knows that Saul is his father. Why does, why does scripture include that? Why does Jonathan keep calling him my father? Because I think scripture wants us to see that Jonathan in loyalty to God's anointed is going to have to sacrifice probably the most precious relationship in his life, which is his own father. And he's going to commit himself to God's anointing. So he delights in, in David. What is he going to do? He's going to do something about it. It's not just enough to believe in him and delight in him. you got to do something. So in verse 2, so Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place. Hide yourself. Verse 3, I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I'll speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I'll tell you. So he says, I'm going to go, you go hide, I'll come out to where you are, you hide, but I'll be there with my dad, I'll have a conversation with him about you, and you'll be able to hear how it goes. Verse 4, then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very, very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. And you sought and rejoiced. Then why will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Very powerful picture here because Jonathan in many ways is putting his own life on the line. In fact, his dad is going to attempt to kill him later because Jonathan is going to be loyal to David above him. But here Jonathan goes to his dad and he speaks well of David. And and I kind of wrote, the more I studied this, I wrote out in the side of my Bible, Jonathan preaches the gospel to his dad. 
Because if you listen closely to what Jonathan says, Jonathan says, Dad, I, I, don't, I don't know why you dislike this guy. This, this guy, number one, he's innocent. He's in, he hasn't done anything wrong. Number two, this guy stood in the gap. Uh, when, when the nation of God, when the people of God were facing certain death at their enemy, there was one guy who was willing to stand in the gap. There's one guy who was willing to stand in the face of evil and our enemy and take the hit, and God used him to bring about victory over our greatest enemy, Goliath and the Philistines, and he brought about salvation and blessing and rejoicing to the people of God. And Jonathan says to his dad, dad, he's innocent. And in Deuteronomy 19, if you took innocent blood, what was the punishment? You died. And there was no sacrifice for you, meaning there was no hope of forgiveness. You do that, you cross the line, you're dead, you're gone. Does that story sound familiar? Uh, uh, Of a savior who's perfect and is God and stood in the gap between the people of God and certain death and took on the enemy of death and defeated him, used his own sword of death against him to defeat him, conquered sin, Satan, and death, and his death and resurrection, and his accomplished victory brought, brought joy and blessing, and he's perfect, and he's innocent, and he's God, and if you reject him, you've rejected the only means of salvation. That's what Jonathan's doing. Dad, don't reject this guy. He's your own. You, you do that, you've crossed the line. You, you do that, there's no hope, there's no sacrifice for you. You know what we tell the world? You reject Jesus. It's the only unpardonable sin is to reject Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because there's no other sacrifice for you. There's no other means of salvation. Jesus is it. And so that's the pleading of Jonathan to his dad. Don't do this. Repent. Don't take innocent blood. And it has an impact on his dad because we see it in verse six. Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul vowed as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So he makes a vow. It almost looks like a salvation moment. But is salvation about the word you speak? Nah, the evidence of salvation is whether or not you live it. So Saul, you're saying one thing here, but let's see what you do in your life. Do you really believe that David is God's anointed? Are you still gonna protect him? Well, we read on in verse seven, then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these words and Jonathan brought David to Saul. He was in his presence as formerly. This is amazing to me. David keeps showing up to work. Um, the guy threw a spear at him. All right, if your boss throws a spear at you, don't show back up, all right? It's probably not a good work environment for you. Um, If your boss is throwing anything at you, probably not a good place to be. Uh, But David, this is another example. David is going to rest in the protection that God provides. His only source of strength and security is God. And I'm gonna keep, if God calls me to go there, even though it might appear detrimental to my own well-being, I'm just gonna keep showing up until God tells me to do else. And so he keeps showing up. The Lord keeps blessing, verse eight, When there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter so that they fled before him. 
And so he continues to be successful in battle. He continues to gain an increase in popularity. What's the reaction of Saul? Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp with his hand. And Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. So David goes back into service. He's gone out to war. It appears that Saul's having another one of his bad days. Gets called back into service. There is Saul again holding a spear. You know, the way I pictured this, if your boss tends to lose his temper and he's normally holding a gun and cleaning it, probably not the guy you want to be around. But there's Saul. He's got a sword in his hands. I love what uh, Spurgeon wrote about this. He said uh, it, it reminded him he had a classmate in high school. And he said the classmate would often get mad. And whenever he got mad, he would always throw something. And Spurgeon said, I was never surprised that he got mad. And I was never surprised that he threw something. I was surprised that everything he got, every time he got mad, he had something to throw. <laughs> Here is Saul. Every time this guy gets mad, he's got a spear in his hand. And he throws it at David. And here's the thought that goes through my mind. If you're David... Every day you're getting up trying to do the will of God. Every day you're getting up just trying to be faithful. God, I just want to be faithful to you. Today, you tell me to show up to work. Even if it seems detrimental, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to bloom where I planted. I'll be the best military commander I can be. I'll be the best guitar player I'm called to be, even with the boss who doesn't like me and tends to throw spears. But I'll do it. God, I'm just trying to be faithful. And every time he seeks to be faithful, it appears that around every corner, there's spears being thrown at him. Any of you ever feel that way? God, I'm just trying to be faithful, and yet it doesn't matter how faithful I am, it just seems like things keep coming. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish it were the work of God to save us and then do everything he can just to keep us comfy and half, comfortable and happy until, <laughs> until he returns or calls us home. Wouldn't that be good? It'd be a whole lot easier. But God isn't interested in making us happy and comfortable. He's interested in making us great. And so he brings us into things that cause us to run to him. And David just keeps running into junk. And he's just going to keep turning back to God. And the picture here is is it will almost, it's like he's a goner. It shouldn't be that hard to hit a guitar player with a spear. It shouldn't be that hard. But he keeps missing. There's a key word, if you want to, there's a key word that runs throughout chapter 19. It's the word escaped. Because what's the will of God? He's going to be king. So evil can get close, but evil's not sovereign. That God will protect his child. And so here he he, he escapes. Verse 11, then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be put to death. So he puts a hit out. Guys, go over to his house. Sending messengers over there. When he goes out to leave in the morning, you kill him. Michael finds out about it. She lets David know. Verse 12, so Michael let, down, uh, let David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. This should remind you of another individual 
uh, named Paul, uh, formerly Saul. You remember he starts his ministry in the New Testament and uh, he is told by Ananias, you're gonna go before kings, you're gonna do great things for God. And then he's in Damascus. He begins preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And what happens? Persecution. They're throwing spears at him. They're trying to kill him. And what do they have to do? In the middle of the night, they let him down through a window in the wall at Damascus and he escapes and runs. And here we see another servant of God that God has called and God has anointed for his purposes. And it looks like Satan is coming against him. It looks like he's got him. And yet once again, he escapes through a window in the wall. And so in verse 13, Michael took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. When Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. She lies. Then Saul sent messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me on his bed that I may put him to death. So Saul says, I don't care if he's sick. It's a good time to kill him. Bring him up to me. Verse 16, when the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with the quilt of goat's hair at his head. So Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael said to Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I put you to death? Very interesting part of the story here. God is gonna work through a woman who's apparently idolatrous. She's got a household idol, probably been an idol to a Canaanite god used as a good luck charm, a rabbit's foot that she keeps in her house in order to bring the blessing of that pagan deity upon their home. And uh, she's gonna use that idol that's in their house, which is also David's house. She's not only gonna use that idol, but she's gonna lie, and God is going to use it to bring about David's deliverance and his escape. You kind of scratch your head and say, what in the world is going on here? I think there's a powerful picture here that God can even use dead idols (laughs) to accomplish his purposes. He can use whatever means he wants. The more interesting part of this story is that God will use Michael's lie. Michael lies. You say, what do you do with that? God, you, you essentially blessed a lie. Are you condoning lies? And listen, God doesn't condone lies. God in his word is very clear about how he feels like about a lying tongue, how he sees a lying tongue. It's an abomination to God. Psalm 51 says, you desire truth in the innermost being. So what are we to do with a passage like this? What, is, what does this mean? And I would love to tell you this all neat and tidy and it works out perfect. It just doesn't. We're in a broken world and sometimes we have to choose between evil and a greater evil. And it's not always simple. You remember there's another woman in the Old Testament named Rahab when the spies at Jericho come into uh, to Jericho and, and she lies in order to protect those spies and God will give her a place in the hall of faith in Hebrews, not honoring her lie, but honoring her faith. There's a reminder of the story of Corrie Ten Boone and her family who protected Jews during the Holocaust and their family had an argument to some extent. Corey's sister Betsy said, we'll never lie. But would they lie to protect Jews who were, who were about to die and After praying about it, they chose to lie in order to protect those lives. Uh, Again, it's not always easy. Sometimes we're choosing between evil and a greater evil. What should Michael have done here? I'll tell you what she should have done. She should have repented of her sin and cried out for the mercy of God. But she was in a difficult spot. And sometimes you are too. But things aren't always as needy and tidy and easy as we'd like them to be. So here God uses it to to bring about uh, salvation for David. 
It's interesting because you remember Saul says, I'm going to use Michael as a snare. I'm going to use her to bring about my purpose, which is to kill David. And guess what God says? Nah, I'll just use her to bring about David's salvation. That's what God can do. And so David escapes again. Where does he go to? In verse 18, now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. David goes to probably the person that he trusted the most. I wonder if he doesn't think to some extent, Samuel, you're responsible for all this. (laughs) You anointed me. But he also knows that Samuel, Samuel is the bringer of the word of God. That's what Samuel's known for. He brings the word of God to the people. David is hurting. And I love this morning, I was reading through it again. And it says he told Samuel all that Saul had done to him. Isn't it sometimes good to have a friend in your life that sometimes you can go and just vent a little bit on? Isn't it good to have a friend who won't condemn you and won't necessarily judge you that you can have in your life that you can go to and say, Samuel, I'm just trying to follow the Lord and every time I turn around, it feels like God is against me. If God loves me, if God's anointed me as king, why do I keep getting spears that thrown at me and why do I have to escape out of a window in my own house? And, 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 and the fact of the matter is, David was probably saying, if we go mano y mano, I'll take the old man. I'm a better warrior than him. And he vents some frustration with Samuel. But I think the more important picture here for all of us is, listen, when you're hurting When you're seeking faithfulness and you're going through the trials of life, run to the word of God. Run to the word of God. If you're at a place of despair, if you're at a place, the one thing you need to hear more than anything else is that God is with you. That God is with you. And the way in which we hear God's voice is through his word. You know what David really wanted? I think he wanted the word of God. I want the word of God. Right now in my life, I need the balm of God's word to heal my soul because I'm hurting. Some of you, you're hurting today. You're in despair. You know, um, as I was studying this, even this morning, the story that came to my mind was was Peter. You, you, You know, Peter's... Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood. He makes that great confession of Christ. But he also tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And you remember what Jesus tells Peter, Luke 22. He says, Peter, Satan has demanded permission to sift you. You want to talk about a scary idea. You wonder if that ever happens in heaven with you? God, I'd like to... I'd like to sift that Chad McDonald. That's a scary thought. You remember what Jesus says to him? Satan has demanded permission. You know what I would have loved for him to say? But I stopped him. I told him, sit down. You ain't doing nothing to that guy. You remember what Jesus says? I prayed for you. 
I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you've turned again, you'd strengthen your brothers. You know what he's saying to Peter? You're going to go through it. You're going to have some deep pain. But I'm going to pray for you that your faith will not fail. Do you know what? You may be going through some deep pain today. You know the great hope and encouragement of your soul? Jesus is praying for you. We have a great high priest who right now, you know what he's doing? The author of Hebrews tells us he's interceding on your behalf. You know what he's praying? He's praying that your faith will not fail. You know the only reason I believe Peter's faith didn't fail? Because Jesus was interceding for him. So here is David. He goes to Samuel. He's in a place of great despair. And Saul finds out, verse 20, Saul sent messengers to take David, but when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And guys, go down there and kill him. We know where he's at. Samuel's probably 90. Old man couldn't do nothing to defend David. We got these messengers, just go kill him. They go to kill him. The picture of this has got to be a little funny. These guys are... Picture Navy SEALs all fatigued up, got camo, camouflage paint on their face, and they get close, and, and they're starting to go. You know, I picture it, a, a, a church. They're headed up to the church to go grab the pastor and kill him. And, uh, and uh, this just, I'm telling you all the thoughts in my mind. Maybe I shouldn't, but. And the closer they get to the church, the, the, they just start singing. And they start worshiping God. Can you imagine soldiers just laying down their weapons and start singing Amazing Grace? Saul gets irritated, sends another group of messengers. Man, they're geared up, they're mad. They maybe got their earplugs in. We ain't gonna listen to nothing. And pretty soon they start worshiping too. Do you know how funny it would be? All these people come to kill David and they're all singing. They're all worshiping God. Um, you'll read on here, when it was told Saul, he sent another messengers, and also, they, they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again the third time. They also prophesied. Verse 22, if you want a job done right, what do you do? Do it yourself. Saul says, you losers, I'll go do it. Then he himself went to Ramah, came as far as the large well that's in Seku. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? Can you imagine? Where are Samuel and David? I'm going to finish this thing today. Someone said, behold, they're at Naoth and Ramah. Proceeded there to Naoth and Ramah. The Spirit of God came upon him also. So he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth and Ramah. So he's just singing praises. He's worshiping. But it gets, it gets worse. <laughs> I mean, and, and saw some old guy, you know, stripping down them varicose veins. Ugh, you know, it's going to get nasty. He stripped off his clothes. He started prophesying before Samuel and lay down naked all day and night. Therefore, they say, his Saul also among the prophets. Listen to me. The message that God is sending to David is nobody stands against God. Nobody stands against God. You remember they came to arrest Jesus? We studied this Passion Week. That temple guard all guarded up. Huge detachment of soldiers. Large group of men with all these weaponry coming to arrest this carpenter. 
And uh, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. You remember what Jesus says? I am. He uses the divine name of God. You remember what everybody does? They fall down. God is demonstrating his power and authority. Do you know what else he's teaching David? He's teaching David, if I'm with you, you ain't got anything to worry about. If God be for us, who can be against us? That ought to be a Bible verse. Somebody ought to write that one. If God be for us, who can be against us? All we have to worry about is being faithful to God. I tell you all the time, you got a knuckle-headed pastor. I'm a sinner just like you. I'm not real smart, struggled, have trouble reading, staying focused, just like all of you guys. You know what I love about my Savior? He didn't make this real hard for me. I don't have to be a PhD. I just got to be faithful every day. In the simple things he called me to do, I just got to be faithful. And he promises, this is what he promises. I'll be with you. And no matter what, I'll carry you home. You ever heard that? That you're invincible until God has completed his purposes for you in your life. Did you know that? Why do we get so afraid? The enemy of death has been defeated. God is with us. You just be faithful. We get into so much trouble when we operate out of fear instead of faith. Don't operate out of fear. Just trust God. Every night, lay my head on a pillow. I don't know if you do this, but I try to evaluate my day. Sometimes it's discouraging. Feel like maybe I wasted a day or didn't steward my time as well as I should have. But the question I ask myself at night, was I faithful? Not in the big things, just the little things. Did I spend time alone with God and his word? Did I hear his voice today? Did I love my wife? Did my boys see Jesus in me? Was I faithful with the time that God gave me at work? I'm trying to learn better than all the other stuff I can't control. I can only control the opportunities that God has given to me and seek to be faithful with them. If you're here today, listen to me, if you're here today and you have rejected God's anointed, you find yourself in the same place as King Saul. King Saul knew, he, he, he may not have known about the anointing, but there's no doubt he saw the hand of God on David's life and he knew what was happening, but he chose rather to bow his neck to God and say, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna try to achieve my will and I'm gonna reject you. 
and it will not end well for King Saul. I referenced last week Psalm chapter 2, the nation's rage, cast his fetters apart. We don't want God. He who sits in heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury, saying what? But as for me, I have installed my king. Do you know this today? The world doesn't want Jesus to be king. Jesus is king, and he ain't running for savior. Ain't gonna be on no ballot deal. It's not a democracy. Jesus is king. He king. And God has determined in his will that the nations will bow at his feet. Every knee is going to bow, even King Saul. Every tongue is going to confess. You really got one of two options. You can bow now and know his freedom. He's a good king. I'm telling you, he is amazing. There's blessing. Doesn't mean the road will always be easy. But boy, you'll have a savior who's always with you. But if you reject him, Psalmist says, do homage to the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For how, his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Run to the king, God's anointed Jesus. Trust in him as Lord and Savior and know his blessing today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. It's amazing these narratives that you have collected for us that are divinely inspired for our benefit. And primarily I pray today for anybody here who doesn't know Jesus. David was a type of Christ, but he fell short. As we read on and study his life, he's going to fall short in some major ways. But he points us. He's a symbol that points us to the fulfillment, the substance of Jesus Christ, who is perfect and who is God, and who will lay down his life and defeat the ultimate enemy of sin, Satan, and death so that we could have a means of salvation. We recognize Jesus as God's Messiah, God's anointed. He is king. God, I pray if there's anybody here that hasn't bent the knee to Jesus, hasn't repented of their sin, and drawn close to you, I pray that they would run to Jesus today. We thank you that salvation is your work. God, I don't understand it. The wind blows where it will. The spirit moves as he desires. And God, it might be that you're moving in somebody's heart right now. Through this crazy message, they don't even know why they're here. But you're moving in their life right now. You're peeling back the blinders. They're beginning to see the depth of their own sin. They're beginning to see the beauty of their Savior, Jesus. I pray that your grace would draw them. And they would trust in you. Repent of their sins. Confess Christ as Lord and know your salvation. God, for those of us that do know you, I, I look around this room. I see some people that are hurting. They're frustrated, they're discouraged, they're disappointed. They've sought to be faithful. In their minds, they're thinking, I've, I've sought the Lord. We, we've tried to do this the right way, and yet it feels like there's only pain. God, I pray today, you would remind them that when it feels like the world is against them, that you're with them. I pray that they would be reminded today that you're interceding on their behalf.
And I pray that they would be willing to say that no matter what you bring, as long as they have you, they have everything. Because the greatest treasure we can ever know is the treasure of Jesus. And if we know him, we can't lose him. Lord, be patient with us as you grow us. Lord, we pray you would be gracious to us as we struggle. Just as you were gracious with David and Peter and Paul, be gracious with us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for never giving up. You've been faithful to us. Let us be faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.